to Luther's world of cryptids, ghosts, and the unexplained. If you're into strange things that fly above us in the skies, or creepy things that go bump in the night, then you have come to the right place. Much like cryptid creatures or folklore tales, they all have a home here, and so do you in Luther's world. Welcome, welcome, welcome to chapter number 10. Thank you for joining us. We're going to start off with, I never thought it would happen to me. Real stories told by those who had the encounters. In our first encounter, we hear from Anthony Bowens. He tells us a little tale about the legendary hat man. Then we venture off to hear the story the chilling story from Evil Uno as he tells us about a very creepy encounter with a little girl. Okay everyone, it's time for the grand finale. Uh, and to me, the most scary of the three and the most life-altering. I mean, I don't say that to be dramatic, but it, it, just, it still affects me to this day. So basically when I was probably about four or five years old, um, I, I always would sleep in my mom's room because I always thought my room was haunted. I was, would always have these dreams that the hallway outside had like a um, like an attic door and something would like drop down like scary messages and stuff. So I would never ever sleep in that room because I kept having that dream. And one morning I woke up in my mom's room, I was holding my teddy bear and I walked out into the hallway and my, if you can picture this, there's a stairway going down to the right, right in front of you. And then to the right is my room. It's a long, narrow room. There's a bed on the right. And then if you walk all the way down the center of it, you make a left, it goes into an area like a walk-in closet. Um, I walked past the room towards the stairs and I saw or something in the corner of my eye and it looked like a shadow. So I looked to my right and I saw what appeared to be a shadow figure of a man with a, like a top hat wearing a raincoat kind of look. He was peering around the corner looking at me, so I, I stopped and I locked eyes with it. And I'm getting chills telling the story, I wish you could see it. And um, it, it shot from the corner of the walk-in closet area to the front of my bed, did the same thing. And then it slowly rose up and darted towards me. I sprinted into my mom's room. I remember I turned around and it came out my... Um, came out my room and made a left and came towards me. I got down on the ground, started crawling, ran downstairs to my grandmother where um, she saved me. So from that day on, I would never ever go upstairs unless there was someone up there or every light was on. Cause it was just, and we lived there until I was 16 years old and that did not change. I would refuse to go up there. I didn't tell anyone about it, I told my friends. Uh, we looked into it. A lot of people apparently have seen this thing, like the hat demon or the hat guy. Um, it was pretty scary. But the story goes even further because uh, about a year ago, um, in a new home where I was with my parents, I, I came downstairs one day. My mother was sitting at the table very kind of with a concerned look on her face. And I said, what's wrong? And she said, I don't know. Was, something weird happened last night. She was sleeping upstairs. She fell asleep on the couch. Uh, my dad was sleeping in the room 
and she said she felt some sort of movement. So she opened her eyes and she looked to the side of the room and she said that she saw more movement and it, that there was people like moving around. And I was like, what did they look like? Describe them to me. And mind you, I've never told my mom the story or my story. And she said, it looked like they were a bunch of men wearing top hats and wearing raincoats. And I freaked out. Um, as you may have expected, and <laughs> you gotta describe that to me one more time, and she specifically described exactly what I saw um, when I was super young, uh, which I think debunks the whole, you know, you see things as a child thing, and you're it's all made up kind of nonsense, so I saw it, my mom saw the exact same thing years later, I told this story, she got scared, um, she did say she saw them one more time, but there was less of them and then she hasn't seen them since. So we can't really particularly explain that one. But um, I, I, I handle the situation a lot better now than I did when I was a child, but it's still kind of creepy when I'm alone in the house and I'm just thinking about it, so. Yeah, that was the grand finale. I hope you enjoyed these stories. Um, I kind of hope I have another one to tell you in the future. I kind of don't at the same time because it's, it's scary stuff. Hi, this is Evil Uno of the Dark Order. Um, you know, this is a ghost show, and uh, I, need, I need to be a little frank. Uh, I used to be very skeptical when it came to ghosts. Uh, my wife, who would always claim saw ghosts when she was a kid or, or would have a ghost in her, her house's basement, uh, I always predicted that there was some other reason as to why it was. Maybe it was shaking pipes, or maybe, you know, you're, you're waking up at 3, 4 a.m., and you, you're, your eyes are all soggy and, and or dry and you can't possibly see properly and so you're thinking you're seeing things and I always assumed that there was a logical explanation to uh, all ghost stories until one happened to me uh, and it didn't happen just to me and that is why to this day I'm now a believer in ghosts um, back in the day myself and Stu Grayson used to travel the roads we used to travel up uh, we're from Canada we used to travel into uh, upstate New York uh, Philadelphia uh, uh, um, New Jersey, a lot of the times it was a lot of the upstate states. And what would typically happen is we would come in and, and drive in on Fridays, drive in on Saturdays to a different town, and then on Sunday we'd work a, a evening show in Philadelphia and then drive right back home so that I could attend school on Monday. Uh, and so our, our Sunday drives were always overnight. And there, we're talking like 3, 4 a.m. and you're, you're in pitch darkness on, I believe it's the Highway 84. One or something up in uh, upstate, and uh, this is when this happened. So myself and Stu Grayson at this point had been driving for six hours. It's maybe two or three a.m. at this point, and we're still three hours from home. And we've reached that point in our drive where we don't really discuss things anymore uh, because we've just talked so much, uh, and so we're kind of tired. We're just looking at the road, and in the distance, on in the center of the road, what seems like fog at first, I kind of try to piece my eyes together and try to figure out what the hell I'm looking at. And from afar, the fog materializes and it becomes a little girl in a white dress. Which sounds like such a prototypical ghost or horror movie staple, but that's genuinely what I saw. And so we're driving towards this being and I'm like, what's going on? And we're, we're, we're doing 100 kilometers an hour, so 60 miles an hour and it's dead center in the road, and we're driving forward, and suddenly we're getting closer and closer to this ghost, or this little girl, and we drive right through the little girl. And when I, I say right through, this, this is what 
this is the stuff that, that will probably give me goosebumps thinking about it again. Um, we're driving forward. I'm looking at this girl. It materializes through the car window, the front of the car. I look over, I connect eyes with Stu, and, and the, essentially the being, we could see right through the car. And then we both look forward. During this time, no word is said. It's dead silence. It's very creepy. It, oh, just thinking about it makes me, oh, I feel so weird right now. Um, and for three, four minutes, there's complete silence in the car. It's me and Stu, and we haven't said a word in over 10, 15 minutes. And Stu goes, did you see that little girl? And I say, yeah. Did you see that little girl? And he's like, yeah. Did we just hit a little girl? And genuinely, to this day, I spent the next two weeks of my life during that time looking to see if me and Stu may have murdered a little girl in the middle of a New York highway. We didn't. Please don't say we did. But to this day, I am a believer in ghosts because there was no rational explanation as to why we would see the same thing materialize on the road, never discuss it until it happened. And to this day, I have been a believer in, in, in all kinds of crazy things. And uh, hopefully, hopefully you don't see the same things I have. It's time for the paper trail. Real stories sent in by you. The first one, I tell about a furniture store owner that never left his store. Then we hear from Luke Grimes as he reads about a haunted house and the investigation that was done to prove it. Then Kung Fu Donnie Janella is in the house and tells about when a little boy saw a very strange lady, a spirit of a lady. Welcome to the paper trail. Real stories written by you and sent in to Luther's Mail. And you can do that by sending in to Luther's, Luther's World Mail at gmail.com. All right, let's get to this first letter. So I used to work in this local furniture store. It's been in business for 120 years. The downtown building it was in was built around 1900. The store moved into it in 1917 at the latest. We found an old ledger from that year in the attic. In, in the three-story main building, we had the man in the brown suit. So first off, that's cool, it's already named. So they must have been able to see him if they saw it was a brown suit. That is super cool already. He was only ever seen on the third floor, looking at the sofas at the front of the window. He was, he was in a suit like from the 1930s or 40s, not a modern suit. I saw him once. I think most of the long-term employees had seen him. In the back part of the third floor, we had a kitchen table. We had kitchen tables displayed and the chairs were always pulled out and we had to push them back in. We pushed them, in, we pushed them back in like two or three times a day on days with no customers. He also used the elevator every morning. Kind of like he's going to work, maybe? Right before 7, every morning, the doors would randomly open. There you go. One old employee joked it was the ghost of the founder of the store. 
he died in the 1950s. And his son was still living and owned it. When the son died in 2018, the store shut down. The only people in the store were two office ladies and the guy that handled the money. When there was stomping around coming from upstairs, we had cleared the second and third floor of all furniture the week before. Only things left were some odds and ends on the main floor. The rest of us were in the warehouse building cleaning up. When we came up to the store, the ladies were freaked out about it. Not so much about the ghost being there, but about the fact that he was pissed off enough to come down to the second floor from his normal third floor to make his displeasure known. Some local ghost hunter types even asked to spend the night, but the owner didn't believe in ghosts, even if it was his dad, and did not want that sort of publicity attached to the store. Our three-story warehouse was built in the 1860s, and while no one ever saw anything there, it just had that vibe if you were there after dark that something was really unsettling, and that's from Devin. That's a great story. Um, who owns it? I want who who owns it now? I wonder. Um, I wonder if you, the new owners would let people go in and, and check the site out. And I wonder what the man in the brown suit thinks of with the business getting sold. So he's probably not happy. Thanks for sending that in. This is Luke from the Nightmare Factory, and I'm reading Luther's Mail. Matt Maloney. This happened in his mid-twenties. He met some guys he worked with that were into the paranormal. They had recorders, spirit boxes, night vision goggles, the whole setup. Naturally, we set up in my house. I should note that the spirits who lived in my house also made the move with us to our new house. For the first hour, there wasn't much going on. We took a break and left our cameras rolling. The ping pong ball we had set on the counter the ones with the raised edge, not a 90 degree cutoff, rolls off the counter as soon as we leave the room and go upstairs. Then the phone we use to capture it slams itself down. We get back downstairs and find out what happened and eagerly dived in. For the next three hours we attempted to make contact and we succeeded. We met my friend's recently deceased uncle. He named our friend as well as his own through the spirit box we had. Hello everyone, I'm Kung Fu Janella here with some more Luther stories. The title of this one is Ghost Woman on the Stairs. Hello Dr. Luther, my name is David. I have a story from when I was about six years old that has traumatized me and has made me freak out about living in my bedroom or leaving my bedroom door open to this day. Before the main story begins, I'd like to bring up a small occurrence that happened. I'd like to say months before the main haunt happened. I was alone on the second floor of the apartment that I lived in the year was 2004. The only person home with me was my mother, who was downstairs either watching TV or on the computer. The way upstairs was laid out meant that from my open door that I could see this that I could see the side of the stairs leading up. So I'd see people's sides as they walked up. I was in my room on this day playing with my Imaginex castle set and had my head faced away from the doorway. Something was telling me that I needed to look over the doorway. So I looked over toward the door toward the stairs and through the banister closet to the door was a woman staring at me. She had long brown hair and glasses and I looked and looked to be anywhere from 30 to 40 years old. Not knowing exactly what was happening, 
I, for whatever reason, rationalized it as just being my mom and confusedly said, Mom? The woman did not respond and her face did not show any emotion. I went back to playing, not understanding what was happening. Later that day, I went downstairs and asked my mom why she was staring at me. She had no idea what I was talking about. The more I think of it, the less like my mom the woman looked, and when I thought about it even more, to be able to look at me from that part of the banister, you would have had to have been exactly seven foot or taller. My mom is 5'3". I don't know exactly how much time had passed between that occurrence, and this one I'm about to tell, but I know it had... But I know it had to have been a good couple of months. After the woman, I had no real sightings or anything until one night. The whole experience is so ingrained into my memory that I even remember the dream I was having right before. I remembered in the dream I was in a huge mansion-type house in the wheelbarrow being pushed toward a window by an invisible person. Right as the glass shattered, I jolted awake, being a little scared as any six-year-old would be. At the time... I had a lofty style bunk bed with a desk beneath the top bunk. I don't remember exactly, but I was wearing a long adult sized t-shirt and was not comfortable wearing it. So in the dark, I climbed down off my bed and into my closet, which was next to my door. I opened it up to find a pajama set I wanted to wear and changed. I got out of the closet and was headed back to the ladder out of my bed, which was the right by the doorway. My door was wide open. The upstairs was laid out like this. The stairs were against the wall when you went up then to the right was everything. On the side of the stairs was a room between them was a bathroom. So from my open doorway, I should be looking at my parents' bedroom door a good 10 feet away. Instead, I was looking at a woman. It was the woman from the stairs looking right at me emotionless. I, just like the first time I saw her, sheepishly asked, Mom? She began to fade at either side of her. A boy to the left and a girl to the right appeared, to, um, appeared and began walking toward me. They looked about my age. I didn't know what to do. I ran through the gap right past them and into my parents' bedroom, screaming and crying. I jumped into their beds, frantically trying to explain what was happening. As I was trying to tell them that I could see the boy walking around the bed as I was pointing and shouting, my parents didn't understand. I had no choice just to bury my pillow, my face into the pillow and pass out eventually from fear. I have no explanation of what happened on both of those times. I'm a believer of the supernatural and paranormal. I believe what I saw were ghosts. Whether they had malicious intent or not, I'll never know. But the fear I had from my experience still unsettles me to this day. If you have a story that you want to share on the show, film yourself telling your tale, or write it out in full detail and email it to me at luthersworldmail at gmail.com and we'll use it on a future chapter. Hey, it's Tony Schiavone of AEW All Elite Wrestling, and you're watching Luther's World. It is Cryptids of the World. This chapter's cryptid takes us to Papua New Guinea, the Manus Islands to be exact, and we hear about the core. The core is a cryptid that can fly, the last reported sighting of the core was around 2008. It's described as being able to glow and has a long pointed tail and it has real thick leathery skin all over its body. One tale that was told happened when Japanese soldiers went to the island during World War II. They were reportedly attacked by the creatures and they fought back and this tale was told by uh, a local named RK. He said that the soldiers uh, would shoot at them 
uh, eventually shooting at them with their tanks and other artillery and then followed them back to the caves that the Corps dwelled in. The soldiers then blew up the entrances to the caves and they never had any more problems with the Corps. The last reported attack uh, on a human by the Corps happened in the early um, 1960s. And the creature attacked a fisherman, destroying his canoe and uh, trying to kill the fisherman. And the fisherman fought back with the only weapon that he had, which was a spear gun. Um, it's said that he eventually speared the Corps, harpooning him right through the mouth, killing it. The fisherman, badly hurt, crawled his way uh, back up the embankment and to safety and was found by locals from a village nearby. But the fisherman ended up dying three days later from his wounds. They say the core may be a relic pterosaur. Well, whatever it is, it is a cryptid of the world. Lonnie Olson, he is back with another Bigfoot tale. And this is Spellman of the Storytellers. From the headlines. May 1st, 1852. Southern Shield newspaper, Helena. The wild man again. We are credibly informed by a gentleman of this city that the wild man has been seen again in the swamps of Arkansas. He derived his information from two gentlemen who were out hunting and approached as near as 20 paces to him. His appearance was so frightful that they did not attempt to approach nearer. He is described by them as being about 7 feet 2 inches high and covered completely with black hair, interspersed now and then with grey. The story or the representations of him, as last seen published in some of our papers, they pronounce untrue. He has no claws to his hands and feet, nor is he eight or nine feet high. Still, he would be a curiosity worth seeing. We understand it is the intention of some of our citizens to capture him, if possible. In the way of shows, he would be the wild mare with the hippodrome thrown in. Memphis Express. Next up is the devil himself, Drexel. This is defining the unknown. Greetings and salutations. I'm Drexel, homicidal artist and deathmatch darling, and I'm here to define the unknown on Luther's world. And today's term of the day is EVP. See, EVP is the abbreviation for electronic voice phenomena, which refers to noises of a paranormal nature that cannot be heard with the human ear or maybe even a dog's ear. See, but they can be picked up and recorded by electronic recording devices. It was American photographer Attila von Sele that was among the first to try recording what he believed to be voices of the dead as a way to augment his investigations in photographing ghosts. He began his attempts in 1941 using a 78 RPM record, but it wasn't until 1956, after switching to a reel-to-reel -reel tape recorder, that he believed he was successful by using a custom-made apparatus consisting of a microphone and an insulated cabinet. Now, some of the things he reported recording were messages such as, This is G, Hot Dog Art, and Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to all. 
strange. <laughs> See, it wasn't until the 1970s that parapsychologist Constance uh, Rodive uh, popularized the idea, having recorded over 100,000 recordings. He believed that the clarity of the voices heard in the recordings implied that they could not be readily explained by normal means. So, if you ever hear any voices in your head, it could be something else, so get yourself an EVP recorder and start recording. I tried that once, but yeah, all my voices right in my head. Back to you, Doc. Are you into scary haunts? Look no further, it's haunted hotels. Today we stay in Jerome, Arizona, and we're going to stay at the Jerome Grand Hotel. I could not find the cost to stay at the hotel, but I did find if you're into ghost hunting, they have a ghost hunting package uh, at the hotel, and that's going to cost you about $30. The Jerome Grand Hotel is located in Jerome, Arizona, a once thriving mining town, and was home to over 15,000 people during this time. During this time, the hotel was actually a hospital, and it was owned by the mining company. The hospital closed in 1950 and laid empty for 44 years. By 1955, the mine had closed and run dry, and Jerome became home to fewer than 100 people. So just think about going from 15,000 people to 100. The hospital was purchased in 1994 and it was turned into the hotel it is now in 1996. So it's time to learn about the scary. In the 1930s, the dead body of the hospital's maintenance man was found at the bottom of the service elevator. His name was Claude Harvey. There have been several reports of Mr. Harvey's spirit in the basement. Um, you can hear him whistling in the basement. And many people have reported seeing him or his spirit just standing in front of the elevator, staring. In rooms, hallways, stairwells, pretty much anywhere in the building, there's reports of labored breathing, screaming and coughing can be heard. Is this the spirits of the former miners that still call this hotel home? There's also a spirit that visits many rooms. He goes room to room. He's known as the bearded man. But people have also reported numerous times of the sounds of a crying baby. And they'll report it to the hotel staff and there'll be no, ba no children staying at the hotel. And there's also the ghost cat that resides at the hotel. Guests have reported the feeling of a cat just rubbing up against their legs, yet there'll be nothing there. The most haunted room in the Jerome Grand Hotel is room number 32. There have been two, two suicides in room 32. One man jumped out the window and fell to his death below and another man shot himself in the head. Those who stay in this room say the water faucets in the room will just turn on by themselves and turn on full blast. So cranked right around. Doors will open completely wide open by themselves and then just slam shut. 
So if you're staying in Arizona, scoot on over to Jerome and stay at the Jerome Grand Hotel. And don't forget to ask to stay in room 32. If you have a story that you want to share on the show, film yourself telling your tale or write it out in full detail and email it to me at luthersworldmail at gmail.com and we'll use it on a future chapter. I would like to thank all my guests, thank everybody that sent in stories, thank my storytellers, um, and most importantly, I want to thank you, the viewers. So until next time, let the chaos run strong. Today, creepy.